This is Tony Tolotto, and this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and comics help us explore our own humanity. And sometimes we explore it through alien cultures in science fiction, like the Klingons, who kind of started out as a brutish group of people and evolved into a warrior culture and class system. My look at the Klingons in just a moment. We start off my look at the Klingons with the gentleman who created their language, Dr. Mark Okrand. Hi on Sci-Fi Talk today. It's really a privilege to talk to Dr. Mark Okrand, who is really the developer of the Klingon language and has published several books on the subject, Klingon Dictionary and then The Klingon Way, Klingon for the Galactic Traveler, and also Conversational Klingon and Power Klingon. And he even developed the Atlantean language for the film Atlantis, The Lost Empire, which Leonard Nimoy also voiced in that as well. And also now the for a few words in the short tracks of the Kelpian language. Welcome, Dr. Okren. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Coming up, the Museum of Science Fiction has been having some great talks, and you're going to be doing one on Klingon. Right. And, and joining you will be probably two of the most famous Klingons or actors that have played him, J.G. Hertzler and, of course, Robert O'Reilly. Uh, that's got to be a blast to, uh, to, to team up with them and talk about something that you created. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I know both of them, and the two of them together are terrific. I mean, they don't need me, but I'll, I'll kind of goad them on. Has anybody ever that has spoken Klingon ever approached you and said, Mark, what are you doing to me? <laughs> <laughs> people, have, people have complained about having sore throats, but that's the worst, I think. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. There's so much to talk about. And, and I, we might have talked about this years ago, but was there any, I, I know that you have specialized in lost languages and, and things along those lines. Was, did you incorporate some of that into Klingon? No. Well, not, well, I should, let me rephrase by no, not intentionally. Uh. <laughs> uh, when, uh, when I was developing Klingon, I had a few things in mind. Uh, some of them were my ideas, and some of them came from, from you know, from Harv Bennett, who was the writer and producer of Star Trek III, which was the first film that I did Klingon for. One of them was it was supposed to be an alien language, which means it shouldn't be like any language on Earth, okay, whatever, whatever that means. <laughs> so, so for that reason, I tried very hard not to make it resemble anything. But in addition, at the time, all we knew about Klingons was what we saw in the original series. And the Klingons, so they, they were kind of the, the most popular villains in the original series. Uh, but they were really featured as, as, as major plot elements in three, maybe four episodes, no more than that. Uh, so they weren't, in, they weren't in all over the place. Uh, yeah. uh, but they became the most popular ones anyway. So we knew about uh, how they behaved in the original series, and I knew how they behaved in the script for Star Trek III, but that's all we knew. And what we know, what we knew was Klingons are mean and tough and warlike and awful and despicable. So I wanted to be, we, we've learned better since then, but yeah. that was at the time. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that the Klingon language that I developed did not resemble any Earth language because save if by accident it resembled Thai, then I've got all the people in Thailand upset with me for, you know, using the, their language as a model for these, the language of these bad guys. Yeah. Okay, so I, so I tried very hard not to make it sound like anything in particular. Now, having said that, 
you can't help but be influenced by what you know. And what I know the most about besides English and some Indo-European languages are uh, American Indian languages, mostly from the West Coast, mm. uh, and some uh, Southeast Asian languages and Chinese. So little bits of those things would creep in there. But as soon as I realized I was doing something like one of those languages, I would immediately stop and change gears drastically. Yeah. So there's little bits and pieces of stuff in there, but hopefully not in any recognizable way. Mm-hmm. You deserve a lot of credit because, speaking of the original series, the Klingons were kind of one note. But it's really when Michael Dorn was cast as Worf, they really became fleshed out and the whole system of honor. I mean, he was really the ultimate Klingon in so many ways. Right. And then, of course, you know, th- there was more languages and, and more different things for him to say. Uh, and it just really fleshed out a culture that really wasn't done up very well. So Right. And you know, you know that wasn't supposed to happen. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't know that. No. Yeah, in, in, in Gene Roddenberry's original conception for the, I'm told, I, I didn't hear this from Gene's mouth, but in the original conception for the next generation, when he was talking about it, he said he didn't want to have episodes where the major plot had anything to do with Vulcans or Klingons. He said, it's a big galaxy out there. There's lots of other folks for us to learn about and to interact with. And so we've already discussed Klingons and Vulcans, right, in the original series, so let's go somewhere else. But then they put Worf on the bridge at the Enterprise, and for the first season, he, w- he was the only Klingon till, till almost to the end of the first season, when a couple other Klingons showed up. Yeah. And after that, it took off. After yeah. that, they incorporated Klingons all over the place, and the, and the whole culture was fleshed out and developed and became really interesting. There are people that literally speak it, all the time, practically. And certainly if you go to a convention, Klingons have become a much more popular alien that people dress up on right. and also adhere to the qualities. And now there's even a, a Klingon blood wine you can buy as well. So Yeah, there's, there's, there's Klingon beer. I, 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 there's some, some U.S. Canadian thing doing Klingon beer. Yeah. yeah, it's really wild. As I recall, I think somebody actually... Um, translated uh, after your line in Star Trek, The Undiscovered Country, to be or not to be in Klingon, that somebody actually took Hamlet and translated it into Klingon. Yeah, that was, that was done by, by some folks who are members of something called the Klingon Language Institute. That's right. Which That's is right. an organization of people who study Klingon very, very, very seriously. And among its members are some people who are excellent speakers of Klingon, some of them, you know, absolutely fluent. They can, they can do simultaneous translation, at least Klingon to English, uh, and carry on discussions entirely in Klingon, and they write things in Klingon and so on. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was the line in, in, in Star Trek VI yeah. uh, where, where the, the chancellor of the Klingon Empire says, you know, you, you can't really appreciate Shakespeare until you write him in the original Klingon. That's and so right. the members of the Klingon languages said, well, if the works of Shakespeare were originally written in Klingon, we owe it to the world or to the galaxy, you know, not to translate, but to restore the works of Shakespeare back to the original Klingon. And that was, that was what started that project. Wow. The only yeah. thing that existed, the only Shakespeare line that existed when they started was to be or not to be. Everything else they did, I didn't. I did to be or not to be, but they did the whole rest of the play. Yeah, yeah. It was delivered so well, too. It's got to be amazing to you how it's really spread 
after all these years. I mean, you were just creating a language for a movie and then a TV show, and now it's like spread into its own subculture. Uh, yeah, and I certainly didn't anticipate that. In retrospect, maybe I should have because, you know, <laughs> it, it's Star Trek, but I didn't. And so the initial stuff that I did, the original work I did for the, for the language, was really uh, a skeletal and incomplete because I, the way I've described it sometimes is in creating what I did for Star Trek Three, I'm talking about right now, mm-hmm. is, was similar to, to building a set, a movie set. You know, if you build a movie set, it's a, a, you have a room, uh, say somebody's living room, but in the, in the story, no one, and you know, there's doors and windows and things, but in the story, no one ever opens the window. When they build the set, the windows don't open, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and it was the same thing with the, with the language. I only created what I needed to create for the script for Star Trek Three. Now, there was enough extra stuff you know, uh, to support that in the same way they, you know, the, the, for the phony window that doesn't open, they built a window frame and put it on a wall. So I had enough, enough structure there, but it was very sketchy and very incomplete because I had no idea anything was going to go farther, farther than that one film. Hmm. What was interesting was, I guess it's been quite a few years now, when CD-ROMs were popular, there was uh, Star Trek Klingon. Right. And it was Robert O'Reilly. And- right. And I remember uh, I, I, I played it uh, and <laughs> I just remember uh, him cursing at me in Klingon for all yeah, the Yeah, he did. Yeah, the, 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 it, was a, it was a really interesting game. I don't know if anyone can play it anymore because it's on old, no. old, old software. But, you know, it was a little episode. Yeah. And you were, you were one character and things would go along and then the action would stop. And Gowron, right, would come and say, okay. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to do A, B, or C. And depending on what you chose, the action would go off in one, one direction or another. Mm-hmm. And some of the choices depended on language. You had to know what things meant in, in the Klingon language. So prior to playing the game, I think it was on a separate disc altogether. But anyway, there was a, a language lab. So you could learn how to, how to pronounce Klingon and learn some Klingon words so that when you played the actual game, you would know what they, know what they were talking about. The language lab, it was interactive. Yeah, speech, speech recognition technology was kind of new, but it was incorporated into that. So part of it was uh, one of the little exercises was you'd see the, a word written out, then you were supposed to say it, uh, you know, into a microphone that the computer could understand. Yeah. And if you said it correctly, I think Gowron congratulated you. He said, Kapla, or something. <laughs> That's right. um, but if you got it wrong, then you heard you said, ah, and you should have said, oh, or whatever. Uh, and that was my voice saying, making, making all of the corrections. Ah. And I was at a Star Trek convention just about the time the game was released where you could order it. You couldn't, you couldn't buy it there and walk home with it, but you could pre-order it and they would, they would send it to you. Mm-hmm. But they had some set up so you could play with it and try it out. And I said, ah, I'm going to go try out this language lab. So I skipped the whole rest of the other thing. I went straight to the language lab. I went to the part where I'm supposed to read a word and say it back and hear how I did. So the word popped up. Now I'm making this up. I don't remember what it said, but it said, kapla. And I said, kapla. And then I heard my voice say, you said ka, and you should have said ha. And I said, <laughs> no, computer. I said it right. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's a great story. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember it well. I, I, the language lab actually took place in the holodeck. 
Ah, okay. And then he would appear in the holodeck and he would, you know, you know who he would introduce himself and then we're going to, you know, he would just get going. And, you know, impatient as I was, a lot of times I kind of skipped that and went right to the story. And of course, that's why he cursed at me because I, I didn't do it right. But yeah, there's bits and pieces of it, maybe even the whole thing that you can see on YouTube. You know, yeah, I think so. And a lot of separate videos. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, it, it would be nice if it would be, come back in some form. Yeah, yeah but, it was fun. But you, you never know. Now, for Voyager, did you contribute a lot, anything to Bellana at all? For Voyager, I don't think so, but maybe. <laughs> what happened is, is you know, after Star Trek Three, actually, at, uh, starting around the time of Star Trek Five, when we were shooting Star Trek Five, is when Next Generation was just getting going. Right. I was on the lot for Star Trek Five purposes, but one of the people who worked on, on Star Trek was, was uh, he was showing me around the office and they had a room at the office, like a closet at the office that was filled with Star Trek paraphernalia. So there was books wow. and pictures and mugs and posters, you know, all, everything. And on the shelf, there was, I don't know, three or four copies of, of my book, the Klingon Dictionary. And I was very proud. I mean, having, having a book, publishing a book and seeing it in a bookstore is a real kick. Yeah. But publishing in a, a book, and seeing it on the bookshelf at Paramount Pictures is really something, right? So, <laughs> so I, was, I was kind of proud of myself. Anyway, the next day, he said, remember I showed you your books on the shelf there? I said, yeah. He said, they're all gone. I said, what do you mean they're all gone? He says, they disappeared. He says, nothing else disappeared from that room, just those dictionaries. I said, that's very strange. Later, we found out that the writers of a particular uh, Next Generation episode this, this episode had Klingons in it, and they wanted the Klingons to speak Klingon. So they got a hold of the dictionary to look things up so they could write the dialogue. <laughs> and they found that it was difficult. <laughs> it was hard, <laughs> even though the words were there. And, and uh, this guy, this guy was, was Richard Arnold, who worked for Star Trek for a long yeah, time. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He, he told them, uh, you, you know, Mark is right here because he's here because of Star Trek V. He said, bring him over. So I went over there and created a couple lines of dialogue for that episode of Next Generation. And I think they used me for one more after that. But after that, but either depending on who the particular writer was or who the particular producer was, they would pay more or less attention to the dictionary. So some of the Klingon in, in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine is pretty good. Hmm. And some of it is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but since it's in, in the episode, it counts as real, right? War for somebody else really said that. So I would incorporate that into the language, maybe have to modify the pronunciation a little bit to fit. So any, anything that's on TV, whether I made it up or not, hmm. uh, counts as legit Klingon. Now, I know that Bolana used to say patak all the time. Is that... Is that, that was not my word. Uh -huh. That was not my word. They made up that word, but it's patak. Yeah. Oh, patak. patak. Okay. <laughs> that's great. Let's take a break, but back in a millisecond. That is the most illogical attitude. Well, maybe a little longer. Uh, hi, this is Stephen Kolp uh, from Star Trek Enterprise, Desperate Housewives, West Wing, 13 Days, various other shows, and you're listening to Sci-Fi Talk. Back on Sci-Fi Talk with Dr. Mark Okrin. Now, as I understand it, uh, in Star Trek lore, there was Klingon dialogue in the first Star Trek movie, that motion picture. Right. And, and the, the scuttlebutt was that Jimmy Dewan actually came up with those words. Right. Was that right. true? That, that, that's, 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 that's right, but that's incomplete. But yeah. Oh, okay. Um, the, the story of Klingon in, in the motion picture is when they, when they made the motion picture, 
they knew that the Klingons were going to speak Klingon. I don't know whose idea that was. I don't know if it was Gene Roddenberry's idea or somebody else. But there was a scene, and at that scene where they speak Klingon, this is the very, very first thing in the movie. Yeah. Right? There's these three Klingon ships, and one by one they disappear, and they're not in the movie anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, you hear them speak a little bit of Klingon. The scene after that is on Vulcan, on the planet Vulcan, and Spock is undergoing kind of a ritual called Kolinar. He's going yeah. to accept Kolinar, right? It's pure logic. Mm-hmm. That scene, the Vulcan scene, was filmed with uh, the actors speaking only English because that's what the script said to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's only two, two uh, Leonard, you know, Spock didn't speak at all in that scene, but there was a woman conducting the ceremony that she had a, a helper. I don't know what anybody's title was. They spoke, they spoke these lines. And when they were doing post-production, the, the folks decided that they, she shouldn't be speaking English. She should, she should be speaking Vulcan, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a Vulcan ceremony on Vulcan. There's no one around except Vulcans. And we know that the Klingons are going to speak Klingon. So it seems silly to have Klingons speaking Klingon in the very next scene, the Vulcans speak English. So they hired a guy from UCLA named Harmut Scharf or something like that, uh, whose specialty was South Indian languages, Sanskrit and things like this, oh, wow. to come up with Vulcan. And what it was is, you know, he looked at the, at, the, at the dialogue, the English dialogue, and looked at the lips of the woman and the guy who were speaking it and made up basically gibberish that, that matched the lip movements. Uh, and when they were off camera, he could do whatever he wanted. And that, that was, what he did was modified a little bit. I think Jimmy Doonan had a hand in there too. But anyway, it was basically this sharp. Huh. Because he did that, they said, hey, why don't you make up Klingon as well? Because even though the Klingon scenes were at the very beginning of the movie, they were shot at the end of the production schedule. So he did something, but they didn't like it for one reason or another. I have no idea why. Hmm. So Jimmy Doohan and one of the producers named John Polville, the two yeah. of them together, came up with some dialogue, some Klingon stuff to say, and gave that to Mark Leonard, who was the speaker. He, he played the Klingon, right? He was normally Spock's father, but in this thing, he was a Klingon. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and then he said the lines, and that's the origin of Klingon. There's maybe six, seven, eight lines. You know, one of them is, Shh, I don't know if that counts as a line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's it. Now, there's actually more than that, but you can't hear it. So there's a, there's this, there's a scene during that sequence on the, on the Federation uh, lookout station or something where you see the Klingon, Mark Leonard, uh, on a view screen, and he's that's jabbering right. away about something. That's and right. he recorded all that in, 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 in the Klingon dialogue they gave him, but you can't hear it, really. So that sort of doesn't count. Mm-hmm. And what counts is the, is, the, is, the, is the basic, basic stuff of Klingon is those half a dozen lines or so that you can hear very, very clearly when he speaks them. And yeah, and you know, Jimmy Doohan and John Polfield are responsible for that. That's amazing. Uh, I got to ask you about uh, Kelpian for Short Treks. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, yeah, short Treks and beyond, yeah. Yeah. More and, than Short Treks. Yeah. I, and I'll tell you, that's... Um, to have had your hand in so many different incarnations of Star Trek and now Discovery. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about, about uh, Klingon in Discovery, you know, season one of Discovery yeah. is very Klingon heavy. Oh, yeah. In, in, in terms of the plot. And in fact, you know, episode one, the, the opening scene is what, it goes on for seven or ten minutes or something, entirely in Klingon. Yeah. I didn't work on Discovery for Klingon. All the dialogue in, in, in Discovery was translated by uh, two people, 
primarily uh, a woman from Vancouver named Robin Stewart and uh, a, a little bit also by a guy in Indiana named Alan Anderson. Both of them excellent speakers of Klingon and they're the ones who translated the dialogue into Klingon and then that's, and that's what the actors said. I think Robin, Robin wasn't there to coach them but she was on the phone or something all the time mm. with them. Oh wow. So they did that. They didn't make anything up grammar-wise or vocabulary-wise. That's all the stuff that I did. But they did the actual translation work. Wow. No, I mean, it sounded pretty good. I mean, I... It's very good. It's very good. The, act, the, act, the actors did, did a really good job. They, they, they speak in, 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 in kind of a Shakespearean way sometimes. They speak like this. They emote, you know. Yes. But the pronunciation is good, and then the, and the, the sentences, the grammar and all that stuff is, is spot on. How did you kind of approach Kelpian? Kelpian was very different. Uh, you know, the, the whole structure of the language is different. Um, in discussions with the, uh, the producers, they had a couple of ideas of what Kelpian should sound like, so I gave them, you know, a few samples. Uh, they, they suggested two things in particular. One is they wanted Kelpian to have clicks, like uh, yes. some, Af- some right, languages in, in Southern Africa yeah. have, so, and, and things like that. Uh, I wasn't so sure how readily the actors would be able to produce them, so I put in one, one clicks. <laughs> so if they make any kind of noise like that, that's fine. And they also wanted it to be kind of melodic. So it's sort of, so it's sort of a tonal language. It goes up and down like this, yeah. in addition to the clicks popping in every once in a while. That, was, that idea came from the producers. The particular grammatical structure and all that was, was on me. Wow. wow. And then, then, then the actors spoke. I never actually worked with Saru, with Doug Jones. Yeah. Uh, on any of his. I did work with some of the, uh, some of the other actors. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, that's another alien sounding language. You know, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean- and they sing, they sing in it. Yeah, yeah, that's right, they do, they do. <laughs> oh boy, was that an, an adventure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, there's always surprises with Star yeah. Trek. I, you know, it's always the way it is. Yeah, it's great. Um, and it's great that, that the Museum of Science Fiction is really recognizing the language that you you, you created and uh, and apparently are still creating uh, for Star Trek. And uh, it's just an uh, amazing place. And I'm so glad they're doing something like this. Of course, it's virtual because we can't be there in person these days. But uh, right. Right. And actually, you know, doing it uh, under the auspices of the Museum of Science Fiction makes a lot of sense because, yeah. because what I did is both science and fiction. That's right. <laughs> okay. Because it's fiction in the sense that, 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 that I made it up. You know, there's, there's, that, 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 I'm, no, you know, it's a spoiler here, but, you know, there's no Klingons anywhere as far as we know. So that's, that's fiction. But the, the way my approach to it was not just gibberish was not just noise it was based on sound linguistic principles so that's science so so the the merger of the two is exactly right Mm. it's it's a great place for it and a great venue and speaking of you know doing things virtually like that how has things been for you during this uh this sci-fi kind of existence with this pandemic i've been i've been okay actually i've been i've been busy uh the, the speakers of Klingon, the Klingon Language Institute people, they haven't stopped at all. In fact, they've, they've adapted pretty well to this, and they do online uh, meetings, you know, get-togethers and things like that. The last, there's a, they have an annual convention. Hmm. Uh, 
And it was supposed to be in Indianapolis this year in July, but they couldn't do that in person. Yeah. But it was all online and it was almost like being there because you, you could interact with, with the people you know and you could meet new people. They, they did the various kinds of activities that they normally do. There's another one every year in Germany and that just got canceled too for the same yeah. reasons. Yeah. I'm, not sure, I'm not sure if that's going to be an online, online thing or not. But in any event, there's all kinds of online activities. So I've been involved with these things a little bit for them, and I was working on some of the stuff for for you know for Hollywood a little bit until that all closed down. Yeah, shut shut down altogether. It's just started to pick back up. So I guess that means Discovery will appear when it's supposed to appear. You know? Yeah, I mean it's. I think what's amazing just thinking now. What if we didn't have this technology? I've, I've thought the same thing. And it would have been, been very. We different. would, uh, we, I mean, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. And um, people that are auditioning and doing things during Zoom, even production meetings or, or writing things, it's just, it would be a, it, we would really be in trouble. Yeah. If we didn't have this. So yeah. thank God uh, <laughs> somebody had the wherewithal to. Uh, it was, it was, pro it was, it was probably Gene Roddenberry or one of those people who thought of this <laughs> inspired the technology. Absolutely. I have to ask you this. Uh, were you ever a fan of Star Trek before you got involved with it? Yeah. When, when Star Trek was brand new, when it was on the air the yep. first time, you know, in the sixties, that's yep. when I was in college. Mm. And at the time, generally speaking, people didn't have TVs in their dorm rooms. Yeah. Um, so I was aware of Star Trek being on TV, but I didn't see it every week or anything like that. I would see it every once in a while. So I got, I got caught up, got caught up into it, like most people, you know, during the reruns, you know, and after, you know, a few years after that, when it was on all the time. So when I was asked to, to work on Star Trek, you know, initially it was Star Trek II uh, for Vulcan. You know, I, I knew what Star Trek was all about, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, 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 wasn't anywhere near as involved or, or knowledgeable as, I, as I've become. But yeah, oh yeah, I was a fan. I, I, wasn't, a, I wasn't a go to the conventions fan then, mm. I am now. Yeah. For me, I, uh, I, I, did, I missed the first two years live, but then I caught the third season, which was on 10 o'clock on Friday nights. <laughs> so I could stay up and watch it because I was, I was a little younger, but I did see it as it aired and I remember, my parents came home from shopping and, and one of the women in the episode, the cloud minders was wearing a very revealing outfit. And, mm -hmm. and my mom goes, what's this you're watching? I go, mom, it's Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and just another story, uh, the old Commodore hotel here in New York had a Star Trek convention years ago. And I went, I even bought a shirt and everything. And this was way before I even considered doing anything like this. And um, Jane Roddenberry was there, which was awesome to have seen him. And DeForest Kelly was there and, and Jimmy Dewan was there. And um, I think everybody except William Shatner was there. Uh -huh. but, but it was uh, it was experience and we screened the episodes. And I don't know if you've ever at a, at a convention screening an episode, everybody reacts the same and they laugh at the right places. They cheer at the right places. It's really an experience I'll never forget. It's yeah. just, uh, Actually, I had a, a, a similar experience, although it was not at a convention. Mm. After the filming of, of Star Trek Three, then there's all the post-production and the editing and all that, they did some sneak previews 
right? Where they had an, uh, uh, would invite audiences, audience members to come, but they didn't tell people what they were going to see. It's come, uh-huh. come see us, sneak preview this thing. It's free. And then they would ask questions afterwards to get uh, feedback, mm-hmm. right? To see if they should change anything or how, how things work. So one of these screenings was in New York. Oh. It was a, I think it was the Paramount Theater, Columbus Circle. I don't think it's even there anymore. It's, I think it's Whole Foods now or something. But anyway, yeah. and I hadn't seen the film all put together yet, right? But they, I, I sat down and watched it, and they had me, they brought me into the uh, auditorium first before they opened the door because they wanted me to sit in this special row that was reserved for the production people, you know, the producers and all that stuff. And the seat next to me, either next to me or one seat away, anyway, was going to be Leonard Nimoy. Because uh. Uh, he was the director, right? Yeah. And so the plan was... That every and I, I had to save his seat <laughs> to make sure nobody <laughs> sat there. Uh, I, and you know, anyway. So the plan was that everyone would filter in, the audience would filter in, sit down. I would save his seat, and then the lights would go down, and someone up front would make an announcement saying, "Welcome to the theater." Da 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 da. And when the movie's over, stick around because we there's a little bit more to do, or whatever they were going to say. And when the lights went down, is when Leonard was going to come in because it would be dark and no one would recognize him. And then he'd just sit in his seat. And I guess he would sneak out before it was over was the plan. Anyway, people started coming in and I'm just sitting there. And there's these two guys who are sitting in the row behind me who are talking. I said, I wonder what this is going to be. What do, what do you think this movie is going to be? I don't know. They said it was a science fiction film. <laughs> well, maybe it's going to be this. Maybe it's going to be that. And one of the guys says, maybe it's going to be Star Trek. Oh, I hope it's Star Trek. Oh my God, that would be great. And I'm sitting there. And I wanted to say, well, not only is it going to be Star Trek, but do you know who's going to be sitting in front of you? You know, but of course I couldn't say anything. What happened? <laughs> well, no. Well, what happened was was uh, he came in at the wrong time. They 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 lost up the queue, and he came in a little bit too early. And the lights were still on, so he Ooh. realized the lights were on, Uh-oh. and he rushed to the seat and kind of huddled down, kind of hiding his head, <laughs> uh, and. Uh, Right, he was one seat away, and in between, between him and me was, was Ralph Winter, who was one of the producers. Yes. Ralph said, Leonard, look who's here. And Leonard looks and says, hi, Mark. And then he hit his head again. Right. <laughs> but it, it went fine. And, and in terms of audience reaction, it's interesting because there's a, there's a line, a Klingon line in Star Trek Three, which is basically beam me up. That's right. In, in Klingon, and, and Krug, the villain, Christopher mm-hmm. Lloyd, right, yeah. uh, says that line. And it's Maltz, activate the transporter beam, or whatever is the exact translation. It's Maltz, he says. And, there, and it's subtitled. It says Maltz, activate the transport beam. And that happens. And then later on in the movie, Kirk says the same thing. But when Kirk says it, there's no subtitle. Okay? So when watching the film and Kirk says, Mock, Joel, true, and the audience erupted in applause. And I'm thinking, my God, they understood. It works. The language works. And that was that was that was it for me. That 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 sort of made me realize that what I did had had some kind of legitimacy. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, folks. You have to if you can get a chance to to really sit in and watch this presentation at the Museum of Science Fiction, uh, which has been doing some great stuff lately, with Dr. Mark Okrin, J.G. Hertzler, and Robert O'Reilly talking Klingon and what it's like to be a Klingon and to create a language for them. It's a, it sounds like a really special treat. I hope so. I hope so. I'm I looking think forward so. to it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And thank you for being on the podcast and sharing some of your recollections. As, as a Star Trek fan, I think you're a real treasure. And boy, what you've contributed. It would be very different if there was no Klingon language. Uh, thank you so much. Kapla. Kapla. <laughs> Take care. There's more Klingons coming. So stay tuned on Trek Tuesday. This is Tony Tolado.